Welcome into another edition of the Designated for Assignment podcast. It is Josh Holbrook here for another week, recapping the first homestand of the season for the Blue Jays. They went four and two, took two out of three from the Tigers, two out of three uh, over the weekend, over the uh, previously unbeaten Tampa Bay Rays. And, uh, you know, they get wins from Barrios. They get wins from Kikuchi to snap that uh, 13-0 and start. They were trying to set the record. Really good wins. And then this is sort of where I want to start. We're going to get into some other stuff, obviously, to recap the week that was. Uh, you know, Alec Manoa struggled on Sunday. Nobody's going to dispute that fact. He has not been good in three out of his four outings. And even the one in Kansas City, I wouldn't say that he was razor sharp. He just, like he has so many times, even if he doesn't have his best stuff, he more often than not has found a way uh, to give the Blue Jays what they needed on that particular day. And so far this year, that hasn't happened enough. And he was the first one to say that he needs to pitch better and uh, all those things uh, after Sunday's start. But, you know, we can, this is where I sort of have an issue, is we can try and analyze what we're seeing from Alec Manoa and, and the results and and trying to factor that in. But I saw too much and it really bothered me. And I know that it's Twitter and it's tough to really unplug how uh, minuscule a portion of just the population and, and maybe the Blue Jays fandom is really engaging in that side of things. But you see these kind of tweets and takes about Alec Manoa's weight and his work ethic. And people were saying I was seeing it like I had a little bit of a uh, it popping up in my feed as well um, about while well, he was focused too much on being a star this year and doing interviews and giving quotes. And like he said, correspondent on MLB Central on MLB Network this year, he's not focused on the mound. And, you know, I saw some, somebody sent me uh, like some screenshots from his start, a start at West Virginia, his rookie season, his debut at Yankee Stadium and his start against the Tigers and saying, oh, look how much bigger he's gotten. And, you know, people saying that he needs to adjust the pitch clock. He's not in good enough shape he has to work faster that's why and i just need to say right now like you could just take that shit somewhere else like i'm just i'm not i'm not authorized to speak about alec manoa's weight or his work ethic and neither are you neither are you so this wild speculation that you know he looks bigger and oh there's no way he worked that hard because look at him it, like he gained all this weight people are saying and uh, you know, that means that he didn't work hard enough and that's why he hasn't pitched well to start the season. I just, I don't buy that. And you shouldn't be sitting there behind your screen on your phone and saying stuff like that when you have no knowledge whatsoever. Sure. Like to you, it might be, well, oh, he looks a little bit bigger. And in my mind, you know, he's not working hard enough and yada, 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 and all this, you know, various horse shit that you might come up with. And like Alec Manoa has earned the right with how good he's been since he started here in Toronto with the Blue Jays to have a bumpy patch. He really hasn't in his career. Really, any time that he's had a rough start, he's followed it up with lots of good starts. Like, you know, he still has really good numbers for his career, even though he's off to a rough start this season. And like, is that what we're doing now? Is that after the first bump in the road and you know, look to hit to his uh we'll see he's got a 6.98 era on, on the season we'll see how he adjusts um to adversity because he hasn't really faced any uh as a big league big leaguer he's come in 
and just been excellent from the get-go. And you still look at a guy who has a 2.7 career ERA. And yeah, like I said, four starts, about a seven ERA. His command has not been good. He only got two whiffs on his slider against the Rays, you know, especially against righties. There have been too many non-competitive sliders. You know, he almost got out of trouble in the first, but, you know, he hung a slider there to Josh Lowe that resulted in two runs. You know, maybe there's some some questionable pitch calling in that situation. You know, Lowe was late on the fastball. Why not just stick with that? But the execution just hasn't been there. And, you know, we can nitpick that. We can put that under the, under the microscope as much as we want. But I draw a line at people saying it's because they think he's gained weight and he's not as focused as he should be. And by every indication, you know, Alec Manoa worked hard this offseason. He is a hard worker. He's always been a hard worker. His whole identity really is a human being, but especially as, as an athlete, is a chip on his shoulder and he's going to try and work as hard as he possibly can to give himself that advantage. So I, I just needed to get that off my chest. Like, hopefully we don't get more of that and hopefully he writes the ship because the blue Jays need him to, you know, he's obviously a big part of what they do on the field, off the field. He's just a big presence within that team. And he's been a linchpin for the last couple of years. And like I said, he's earned the benefit of the doubt and, and some confidence that, Number one, he can write the ship. And number two, that the reason he's struggling is maybe just about execution and mechanics and not because you think that he's gained X number of pounds or he hasn't been as focused uh, as he has been in the past. So, uh, yeah, let's let's hope that that narrative, you know, dies quickly. And and I, I just I really don't want to see that kind of stuff popping up. Uh, in my timeline anymore because it was uh, very frustrating uh, to see it just circulating around and uh, yeah so I, I had to get that off my chest uh, we will get to uh, some some things that have stood out early in the season uh, a little bit later in the show but uh, let's focus more on the positive because you know I understand that a lot of times when a team has a chance to sweep a series and they lose the game where they have that chance and they end up only winning two out of three or three out of four, it's easier to just say, oh, well, you had an opportunity and you didn't take advantage and that's disappointing. And to an extent, I can agree with that, you know, like losing to the Tigers the way that they did, that wasn't great. But anytime you can win four out of uh, your first five series of the season, start 10 and six, that's very good. Like, and I still don't think that this team has really fully clicked yet. You know, guys are obviously producing offensively. Other guys are not, you know, you look at the catching situation, Kirk and Jansen this week had their first kind of good productive moments at the plate and, and found a way to make an impact in the game and drive in some runs and have some good at bat. So that's good. But I, I think I saw today they were 12th in the league in, in home runs. They have 16 home runs entering Sunday's action, and that's pretty good. I still look at this as a team that should easily be in the top 10, if not in the top five. And you know, like some of the positives are uh, entering Sunday, they were third as a team in defensive runs saved. Uh, they were in the top 10 in base running statistics. Very good. And that's different than we've seen in the past. You know, this hasn't been a team that has 
uh, I would say, been known to be sharp defensively or really good on the bases. And like there are guys, like Kiermaier's fast. Varsho isn't that fast, but he's not slow. You know, like they have guys who are smart players on the bases and they're taking extra bases when they see fit. And, you know, like they're going the other way, allowing somebody to go, to go first to third on a single. There's just a, a whole different vibe feel to the way that things are going, which is surprising to me. I, I really did think that by and large, this was still going to be a, a bludgeon you type of offense. And I still think that over the course of 162 games, uh, that's probably going to be the case. But it is really encouraging and exciting that they are in a position right now where they can play a little bit differently and they can win games where they're scrapping out some runs and drawing some walks and capitalizing on some errors and that sort of thing. You know, the quote unquote small ball that a lot of people love to see and hope to see more of and and that sort of thing. And I'm okay with that, you know, within reason, you know, I'm not giving up outs with bunts, but if you're playing smart baseball and taking what's given to you and, and maximizing your opportunities, uh, that's fine by me. So, you know, like, yeah, you would have loved to have gone six and zero on the homestand, but four and two is very good. And if you win most of your series at home, uh, you're going to be in good shape. If you can be a 500 team or so on the road, maybe a couple of games over and you take care of your business at home, win most of your series at home, then you're going to win 95 games. Uh, and I think that, you know, there's nothing that I've seen in the first two plus weeks of the season uh, that has made me feel any differently about this team than, than I did uh, entering it. I guess you know, the, the most encouraging stuff that we saw this week, certainly I would say number one is probably Yusei Kikuchi, who I would say was at his best as a Blue Jay. And to indicate how much of a grind it's been for him in his season and change in Toronto, uh, that was only the sixth time as a Blue Jay that he completed six innings. And the first time uh, since last June, which was also against the Rays, probably his best start of last season. He struck out eight, walked one in six innings. You know, this time around, nine strikeouts and just gives up the one run in, in six innings. So I thought that his fastball was maybe the best it's been uh, as a Blue Jay. It was just, it was really good. And he was getting ahead a lot, which is obviously a big challenge for him when he falls behind. You know, any pitcher, when you're working backwards in the count, uh, you're at a disadvantage. The best pitchers can recover. And pitchers who, you know, are prone to throwing a lot of pitches, deep counts, you know, getting into trouble with walks, leaving pitches over the, the heart of the plate because they're trying to seal a strike on a hitter. Those are the ones that struggle when they're falling behind the count. We saw that a lot from Kikuchi last year, you know, it was regularly one and oh, and then two and one. And then, you know, he's throwing a fastball over the heart of the plate or a cutter uh, that catches too much of the plate. And it ends up getting pounded out for a home run or a double or something like that. And that sort of stuff sort of just snowballed on him. And he just seems like a more focused guy this year. And, and I think he's admitted that the pitch clock was going to lead to that. Um, and he just seems more passionate. Uh, you know, like we've seen a bunch of, uh, you know, like excited moments. He's yelling, he's screaming, he's pointing at his teammates, you know, after George Springer made that catch in the first inning on, on Saturday, some other nice defensive plays. He's making sure that you know, he's engaged in the game. And I think, you know, he realizes his teammates had his back last year. He's a very popular guy in that clubhouse. 
And it's just really nice to see the hard work that he clearly put in over the offseason, you know, pay some dividends early in the season. He was not good against the Angels. Like, again, some of the issues there where some mistakes just really sort of derailed them, you know, that sun ball, he didn't really bounce back, but like he was so, so sharp against the race, a couple of really good back foot sliders to right-handed hitters. And I just think that if he is able to elevate that fastball at, you know, 95, 96 and get some of those wild swings up and out of the zone and then mix that in with, you know, sharp breaking sliders, uh, down and in, down and away to lefties. I'm not really worried about him against lefties. It's righties that that is really going to be the test uh, with him throwing from the left side. Like if he can mix and match eye level and, uh, you know, command really everything and, and expand the zone on some of these hitters, then uh, I think we're going to really like what he's able to do. And, you know, if he can approach what he's done so far, um, you know, over the long haul this season, uh, I think, you know, Blue Jays fans are going to be very excited. Like He's got a 27% strikeout rate and a 4.8% walk rate. Like he is, according to Baseball Savant, in the 76th percentile among pitchers in walk rate, 89th percentile in chase rate. Yeah, he's there's a lot of blue on his page in average exit velocity and hard hit percentage, barrel percentage. He's still, when he's getting hit, he's getting hit harder than you'd like. But you can live with some of that if you're not, like you can live with solo home runs uh, if you're pitching well and you make one mistake or two mistakes and they're just solo home runs and you limit it to that. You can live with that. It's last year where he'd walk a guy, give up a hard hit single, and then give up a three-run homer or walk two guys and then give up a three-run homer that just totally killed any uh, momentum that he had in a start. So again, it's very early days, but I have been uh, very pleasantly surprised by what I've seen from him so far. And I would say encouraged uh, that he's at least capable of being a solid, productive enough, more often than not, a fifth starter. And and that's all you're looking for. Like he's not going to deliver a Picasso masterpiece every time he takes the ball. But as long as he's giving you a relative chance to win most times, you're going to take that. Would you like more than that for, you know, whatever it is, 10, $12 million? Sure. But I think that, you know, he can deliver at least somewhere approaching that value uh, this year. And that is a real uh, big improvement based on where it was last year. And I think coming into this year, nobody was really all that optimistic, I would say. Like, you know, people were hoping that he might be able to figure something out, but I don't think anyone by and large was really sitting there and saying, Oh yeah, you say Kikuchi's going to have a big bounce back season. And you know, he may, he might not still, but there's enough encouraging sort of seedlings planted here that uh, I think you should feel pretty good uh, about where he might be able to, to take things. And, you know, building off that on, on Friday night, uh, Jose Barrios in his first home start, he's been a much better pitcher at Rogers Center as a Blue Jay than he has been on the road. I think his home ERA was like two runs lower than his road ERA. And he started on the road in Kansas City and Anaheim. And we know what happened there. There were flashes, but then, uh, you know, the issues cropped up with his four seamer and his sinker just not being there. And you look at what he was able to do against the Rays. And his slurve was really good, which is 
often the case with him. Like, I'm not really worried about his slurve. His changeup comes and goes. You know, sometimes it's really good. Other times uh, it it isn't. It just doesn't have that late dive that you would like it to have. And it catches too much of the plate and it can be hit. But it was good enough. His sinker was okay against the Rays. His four-seamer, to me, was still not where you would like it to be. Like, I'm pretty sure that his average exit velocity uh, on his four-seamer against the Rays was still over 100 miles an hour. Like, there was some good luck, I think, involved. Like, some hard-hit contact, um, found some gloves. And like he still, his hard-hit percentage through three starts is almost 55%. He is striking out uh, a good number of batters like uh, and not walking too many and getting some swing and miss, which is encouraging. But I, I still maintain this and, and nothing's going to to change my mind. I just think that he is going to be hard pressed to have any level of consistent success if his four seamer is continues to be a problem. And I didn't see enough in that start against the Rays that leads me to believe that it is all of a sudden going to be a weapon or anything that isn't a liability. It's like, to me, it's still too, too often uh, a liability, a problem. And you're just going to have a hard time, you know, relying on your slurve consistently uh, if the rest of your stuff just isn't as sharp. So it was encouraging. I thought he you know, made the most of that outing and who knows how much deeper he would have gone if he didn't take that comebacker, uh, off the leg at the end of the fifth inning, you know, uh, there's maybe something to be said, just ending on a positive note. You know, you get that out, your team's in a position to win and you can build on that. We'll see where it goes. I would think that his next start is going to be against the Yankees at Yankee stadium. Maybe he'll get the, the final game against the Astros either way. It's back on the road and it's again, it's going to be against a tough opponent and we'll see uh, what comes of it but definitely at least a, a relatively encouraging start from him against the Rays. But uh, I still need to see more and and better uh, for execution and just everything uh, from his four-seamer if I'm really going to start to feel better about him going forward. But uh, we'll get to some some of your thoughts. I, I put it out on uh, Twitter, at Goldberg 12 at DFA uh, underscore pod. Just uh, you know what stood out to you in the early portion of this season. So we'll get to some of that. And uh, let's talk about Kevin Kiermeyer, who like when they signed him and we found out what the dimensions were going to look like at at the dome and, and you know, the lower center field fence and, and everything of that sort. There was at least some excitement about what that might mean for a player who certainly has had a propensity for home run saving catches like he scaled the wall. I think it was in 2019, maybe it was 2021 at Rogers center and, and robbed uh, at least an extra base hit, if not a home run. So with the the fence being shorter, you could see him going over and making grabs like that. And in the second inning of the home opener, he goes up and, and robs a home run uh, from Kerry Carpenter, uh, or maybe it was Nick Maton, either one of them, both those guys had good series and hit the ball hard um, against the blue Jays. But, you know, he has made no secret of how much he is enjoying the experience, you know, talking about biking, to the ballpark and playing for this city and this entire country of Canada. He's done everything you would want him to do to ingratiate himself into the Blue Jays organization after 11 seasons as a Ray and as a Blue Jay killer in a lot of those seasons as a Ray. You know, a lot of people have quickly forgotten about that. 
And like, I liked a lot of his at bats, you know, uh, I think it was Saturday. There was an unfortunate uh, situation where uh, Danny Jansen got intentionally walked with a lefty on the mound and and Kiermaier struck out, but he's not going to provide much offensive value against lefties. You knew that was going to be the case coming into the season. If he could chip in a hit every once in a while or have a decent at bat in in the times he was going to get starts against lefties, you'd take that. But he's hit the ball hard. He's had lots of good at bats. You know, on Sunday with a couple on, he hit that bullet up the middle and Jason Adam makes that Houdini play. And it just shows that he's been on a lot of pitches in, in the early going. And, you know, defensively, he, I think it's not a coincidence that he has been really good uh, in center field and the Blue Jays have been one of the better defensive teams um, in the early going of the season. You know, I think they already have 10 defensive runs saved um, as a team and some of their best work has been uh, Kevin Kiermeyer in center field. Yeah, five defensive runs saved from the center field position um, so far, 10 as a team. This is according to the Fielding Bible, which is usually my go-to for this sort of thing. You know, first base has been good. Second base has been good. Third base, surprisingly, Matt Chapman. Like he made a nice uh, defensive play on Sunday, really good throw. I am at least monitoring the situation there. Like I'm not sitting here and saying Matt Chapman's all of a sudden going to become a, a minus defensively. But I do wonder, you know, has there been some slippage and is there anything that uh, you look at and say, like, if there is slippage, is is he going to be able to get back to what he was when he won three gold gloves in a four-year span? Like, I'm not prepared to say that that's not going to happen, but I'm at least keeping it on my radar because he didn't have a great defensive season last year uh, and he hasn't been his usual self so far. Like I saw early in the season... Um, looking at his outs above average uh, in the percentile rank, all of his offensive numbers are incredible. And he's in the third percentile for outs above average, which is just, you want to look at Matt Chapman, like even last year, he was in the 72nd percentile. And that's a relative down year. I'm putting air quotes, 99th in 2021, uh, 80th in 2020, uh, 98th in 2019, 90th in 2018, and not in 94th in 2017. So third percentile, I don't think that's going to last, but you know, he's going to be 30 at some point. Like, is there a little bit of slippage perhaps, but you look at Nolan Arenado, who is older than Matt Chapman, I am almost certain. And he is, yeah, he's 32, going to be 33 and he is still excellent. So, you know, Matt Chapman did have a really serious hip injury, but he had a gold glove season uh, in 2021 when he was still battling through that. So I don't really know how to explain uh, the relative slippage last year and, and the continuation um, of that in the early portion of the season, but it's at least something uh, that I'm going to be keeping an eye on here uh, as we move forward. And uh, you know, one thing I, I put out on, on Twitter and I was curious what, what people thought, and it was a mixed bag, you know, some agreed, some didn't, that's just sort of the way it goes. Sometimes you know, with the second base situation um, playing Whit Merrifield more right now. And I just feel like I understand what the blue Jays were trying to do in the early portion of the season, trying to get everyone reps and, you know, John Schneider talks. I, like I said, this on the preview show that I did before the season, you know, there was the talk about trying to get Espinal, Biggio and Merrifield at least 400 
played appearances a piece. And I honestly thought that was somewhat wishful thinking. And you know, it's just hard to juggle around. No one can really get in a rhythm. And, you know, we've seen that a little bit with Espinal in the early going, he has struggled and he struggled in the second half of last year. And uh, he hasn't found his offensive stride yet. And you, you know what he's going to bring to the table defensively. You know, Kevin Biggio had a really good defensive year uh, last year, but he's been about average for his career before that. You know, he hasn't had a great start to the season either. You know, Maryfield doesn't hit the ball particularly hard and and isn't going to be great against righties. But I just think that at least right now, Nick, he had a nice at bat against McClanahan. He doubled to take the lead on Saturday in a game against the Rays. Like he's just having more uh, meaningful, productive, important moments uh, than the other two. And I'm not saying to bury Espinal and to bury Biggio on the bench, but I would be okay to ride with Merrifield here for a little bit and, and see what happens and, and see if he can get into a rhythm. And he strikes me like we saw it. He was a player who, uh, you know, he had that long consecutive games played streak that ended last year. And, you know, it's been a big adjustment, no question for a player who was penciled into basically the same spot in the lineup, the same position every day for several years to become a player who, at points last season after the trade was playing like once or twice a week and struggled. And then September came around and he forced his way back into the conversation and was playing a lot because his production, you know, warranted it. And uh, he deserved to be in the lineup and like, his production so far hasn't been great, but it's been light years better uh, than either of Espinal and Biggio. And I just, I like his, contact skills and his ability to run the bases. And I think that he still offers a, a decent amount of uh, defensive value at second base. Like, I don't know if this is something that I would say six weeks from now that I feel the same way about, but right now, as we sit here on Sunday night, April 16th, heading into three against the Astros, I'm okay with what Whit Merrifield playing, you know, two out of these three games, even against righties. I think it's Garcia or Keedy and, uh, I'm not sure, uh, maybe Javier. Um, I'm okay having Whit Merrifield in the lineup over Kevin Biggio and, and over uh, Santiago Espinal uh, right now. So uh, we'll see what the lineup looks like. I, I did want to get to Ricky Tiedemann, who made his uh, season debut uh, for Double uh, A and faced nine batters, struck them all out. His stuff was incredible. You know, John Schneider said after what more does he have to do at double a something to that effect? And like, could Ricky Tiedemann pitch in the big leagues right now? I think, yes, the answer is yes. Um, I, I don't think that there's any doubt that he can get outs and, and miss bats and be an arm that uh, delivers for you uh, at the big league level. But the question is like, what are you expecting from him right now? Because he's not built up. He just really hasn't thrown a lot as a professional hasn't gone much beyond five innings or 80 pitches. And, you know, like a lot of people will say, Oh, where there's Manoa parallels and maybe he'll be up here in the end of May or, or early June. And perhaps you know, I, I learned my lesson after saying Manoa wasn't going to make an appearance in 2021. I'm not going to say that. Like I probably would be more surprised than not if Ricky Tiedemann didn't pitch for the Blue Jays this year, but he's a starting pitcher. I want him uh, to be able to see a lineup a third time through and figure out how to battle in certain situations when maybe your stuff um, isn't 
quite where you'd like it to be and, uh, and throw more pitches and just you know, have more experience as, a, as a professional starting pitcher. So we're not there yet. Like I, I would be surprised if Ricky Tiedemann, you know, didn't spend a, another month at double a, just kind of working his way up and, and getting more comfortable. And then maybe mid end may he goes up to triple a with the bisons and continues to work there. And if, you know, all goes according to plan and he continues to dominate relatively or, or pitches above average, then maybe there's a conversation if somebody in the rotation gets hurt or somebody in the rotation uh, isn't producing, but we're not there yet. And uh, I don't think it's a, a, an issue that we're not there. I, I think that there's more that needs to be discovered when it comes to his development and the Blue Jays uh, are mindful of that. And I don't think it's going to be a situation where he's, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog turbo speeded uh, up here uh, to the Blue Jays. So uh, I don't think we're going to see him that soon, but I, I wouldn't rule anything out because, you know, you never know how these prospects um, can change the the timetable with how they produce. Uh, before we get to uh, things that have stood out for you uh, early in the season to wrap up the show, you know, Brandon Belt had his first good moment as a Blue Jay um, and had three hits in a game against the Tigers, and it was encouraging. And then, you know, it wasn't great. Uh, again, I think he had a situation where he grounded into the into a double play uh, with the bases loaded. You know, he's still five for 33 on the season and still has 16 strikeouts in, in 33 at-bats, 35 plate appearances. So he's cut his strikeouts down a little bit. You know, we're still in the same position that we were last week when we talked uh, to Caitlin that, you know, like they're not cutting bait. He didn't play against McClanahan. He's not going to, generally i think play that much or at all preferably against lefties but uh, you know he's talked about needing to shorten up his swing and and getting his timing down and that sort of thing making some adjustments and a player like that you know deserves more than 33 at bats before you're really making a declaration i think we're at least a month away uh like i said last week and nothing's changed um from my perspective you know if he if he continues to scuffle to some extent is he going to be assured of playing every day against righties, whether it's DH or first base? Perhaps not. But, you know, like some people say, bring Addison Barger up here. And per- maybe that is something that happens for Spencer Horowitz. That's something that happens sooner than later. But we're still, I would say, at least a month away, at least a month away uh, from having any of those types of conversations. It's just, it's too premature. Uh, to be really talking, I think, about what Brandon Belt's place is on the roster, like if he should be on the roster. He's still got a secure spot uh, for the, I would say, foreseeable future. But, you know, four to six weeks from now, if he's still really scuffling, uh, then it's probably something that uh, is going to have to be more seriously revisited and and considered in, in terms of, you know, what you do with him uh, moving forward. So here we got some tweets at Jay Goldberg 12 at DFA underscore pod. Um, they're not really grumblings because why well, grumbled off the top of the show with the Manoa stuff. And uh, you know, uh, I, hopefully we don't have to do that again, but you know, after you have a successful homestand, I guess you could say the grumblings are that, you know, they didn't sweep the tigers when they had the opportunity to, but I'm not really going to get that upset um, in a situation uh, when you took two out of three and then you took two out of three with Barrios and Kikuchi getting the wins uh, against the Rays who were rolling on all cylinders, clicking on all cylinders um, coming in, regardless of who they played, that was going to be a tough matchup and the Blue Jays 
by and large, uh, handled that very effectively, very well. Uh, Dustin uh, tweeted in, uh, we are never out of a game ever, no matter what the starter gives us. This lineup looks like uh, looks like uh, ones in the past. Uh, we'll take anyone in a swing off. Yeah, the, they're, I think that, you know, being the type of team that maybe isn't as feasts or famine, you know, working a lot of counts, uh, like Dalton Varsho, I saw is in the top 20. I think I looked at this uh, on Saturday, maybe even on Sunday morning in the top 20. He was tied entering games on Sunday with Aaron Judge in number of pitches seen per plate appearance. I think it was just over four. Like that's been the case by and large. There have been a lot of really good at bats top to bottom, like even guys who haven't produced have had moments where they've had good at bats. And then, you know, you're one through five have generally been really good. Like Bo Bichette continues to just wear out the baseball, had a five hit game second uh, of his career, just continuing to pepper right center and right field with line drives. And he's carried over what he did at the end of last season is totally locked in. And it, it just seems like there's a trickle down effect from that top tier of the lineup where the at-bats are just rolling into each other. And, you know, you're having uh, more situations where you're making contact. And like we saw uh, with Danny Jansen, when he, we thought it was going to be a ground ball, double play, you never know what can happen when you put the ball in play. You know, that's the thing about the three true outcomes, you know, strikeouts can be rally killers. And, you know, I would rather more home runs if it, I'd accept more strikeouts if it meant more home runs. But if you're still going to hit home runs, cut down on your strikeouts and make more contact, you know, putting more pressure on teams to make every play in the field, then I think by by a large sample size over a long haul, you're going to see you know, teams make errors and you be given extra outs and, and run scoring in an unearned fashion uh, than maybe we've seen here um, in, in years past. So Kevin says... If Jansen is going to be catching Kikuchi and Barrios for the time being, what role does that leave Kirk? And he also wants to know candidates to replace Belt if he can't figure it out uh, in the next month or so. You know, the situation is what it is with Kirk. Like he's going to catch, um, he's basically going to catch Gosman and Manoa, I would say. And then Jansen's going to catch Bassett and Kikuchi and Barrios. And uh, Kirk was catching two-ish days a week. He's going to DH uh, also. And, you know, if Brandon Belt, this kind of bleeds into your other question, if Brandon Belt doesn't produce, you know, Kirk is going to get more DH uh, days than against righties uh, than maybe was foreseen. I think the idea of bringing in Belt, in addition to just balancing out your lineup and having some some power from the left side, was to allow your catchers to have a complete day off. Nobody will argue that I think Alejandro Kirk ran out of gas a little bit in, in the second half. And that was somewhat to be expected. He didn't have a ton of experience uh, as a professional playing that many games and catching takes a lot out of you. You know, it takes a, a rare breed to be able to catch 120 or 130 games at a high level and produce over that same sample um, offensively. And I think the Jays wanted to spell Kirk and Jansen a little bit more um, over the course of a season and not necessarily have them in the lineup every single day, uh, as was often the case at stretches last year. But you know, be- beyond that, like I said, Barger, Horowitz, I think they're possible candidates if Brandon Belt really, really slumps um, over the next four to six weeks. Perhaps we could see one of those two guys become an option if they continue producing um, in the minors, because that also has to be the case. Like those guys have to be 
I wouldn't say, you know, like hitting 400 and hitting home runs at an insane clip, but they have to be really productive. You have to force your way um, into the conversation. It can't just be, well, Belt's really struggling, but Barger's hitting 230. Let's shake it up and bring Barger up. Like he has to really make it a decision that uh, is undeniable. Like he has to basically just force his way in and you have to say to yourself, if you're the front office, he, we just have to give him a shot. And, you know, maybe that doesn't mean that belt is off the roster, but we're going to give Barger or Horowitz or somebody of that ilk a chance because, you know, let's see what they can do while belt is struggling. So those would be the guys that I think would probably be most um, top of mind. And then one more from uh, Ryan, he says way fewer mistakes on the base pass. There have been some, you know, uh, Luis Rivera has had his issues in the, in the early portion of the season. And that is what it is, you know, being caught between ascend uh, or, or putting up the stop sign. Um, you know, there was, I think it was in the angel series. Chapman was up and Bo Bichette tried to steal a base and then caught, got caught. And then Chapman ripped the double that probably would have scored Bo, but You can take that. I know that the team wanted to be more aggressive. And I'll always say that there's a, there's a fine line between aggressive and like dumb isn't the right word, but something um, overzealous, I guess we could say. And I think the Blue Jays will figure that out, but by and large, way more often than not, the good has way outweighed the bad. Like they've been a top 10 base running team um, by most metrics so far this season. And like, I don't think it's a coincidence that some of the players that have br- been brought in here um, have led to that uh, being the case. You know what? Let's get to uh, one more. Uh, Riney 79 says the outfield defense being better. Wasn't just all talk. It's clearly greatly improved even this early in the season, which is great to see. And then we also had some Kikuchi stuff uh, in terms of what's been standing out. We talked about him and he is definitely right uh, atop the list but the outfield defense is huge and you don't have anyone out there that you're worried about. You're not holding your breath. Like Dalton Varsho made a diving grab on a ball uh, on Saturday in left field. And it just made you think that, you know, last year is uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Diving. Is he making that play? Is the ball getting by him? Like, I don't want to pile on guys who aren't here anymore, but you don't have the same level of let's say concern when a ball is hit, a high fly ball in the sun is hit or a ball into the gap is hit. And you're worried about thinking about what route is going to be taken to that ball. And is it going to be the right route or the most efficient route? You know, so far, especially Kiermaier and Varsho, you know, Springer has had some good moments. Like he made a dive and grab, but he also had to recover because he misread the ball and had to really go back to make the play. But the outfield defense, like in a tight ball game, when outs are at a premium and this team has visions of playing deep into October, having strong outfield defense is going to make a really big difference. Look what happened last year. Like we don't need to go back into it, but, you know, just a more uh, just competent, strong, all around, well-rounded outfield will make a difference, I think, when it matters most. So good First home stand for the Blue Jays. They're ten and six on the season, four and two uh, after series wins against uh, Detroit and Tampa Bay. And you know they're they got a test this week. This is what you know it's all about. Even early in the season, even even in the middle of April, three against the Astros, three against the Yankees on the road. You know these are the two teams 
uh, that were in the American League Championship Series last year. The Astros have made the ALCS six straight times. They've won two World Series. They're the standard right now uh, by which every team should be trying to stack up, especially in the American League. And if the Blue Jays want to get to their ultimate goal of winning the World Series, odds are they're going to have to go through one, if not both, of Houston and New York. So I'm not going to, if, you know, it doesn't go great a week from now, I'm not going to necessarily say that, you know, the Jays are cooked and they're not going to be able to beat these teams when it matters most, but you would like to be able to have some success here. Like a four and two road trip would be great. Three and three would be fine. You want to go three and three or better. Like you want to win at least one of these series and, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, Hopefully Alec Manoa bounces back. You know, maybe the the big game situation of pitching in Yankee Stadium, if he's had a ton of success there, um, will lead to him just kind of recapturing the magic that he showed over his first season and change uh, in the big leagues. going to be a big week. As always, we appreciate you uh, tweeting in. You can always find me. I'm always tweeting during games. At Jay Goldberg 12, at DFA underscore pod. If you want to uh, like, review, comment, subscribe, all of that stuff, wherever you find us uh, on your favorite podcast platform. That would be appreciated. I'm Josh Goldberg. Thanks as always for listening. And we will talk to you next week on the Designated for Assignment podcast.